Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Happy Friday, everybody. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak, Charlie Long, hanging out with you till 7 o'clock here on Sports Talk. Coming out after the first break, we'll get into some NFL, AFC, NFC Championship talk Ooh. with Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockenfora. Who are you folks picking? Want to hear from you on the Oakland Heart Jewelers talk and text line in the AFC and NFC big games. Uh, we'll get into our picks very shortly as well. Uh, getting into our callers, though, have been hanging on. I got Jimmy and Gretna going to the Pels OKC tonight, maybe? What you got tonight, Jimmy? Dude, I'm on the fence, man. I don't know if Zion's going to play or not, but let, let me get this little plug in real quick before we get to Pels. Tomorrow on the West Bank in Old Gretna, uh, float number three, the crew of cuties. Come on out there, me and my kids and family. We're going to be on a Saints float. If you like the Saints, who that nation, you got a family, bring them out to Old Gretna right there by the Gretna Ferry, uh, kind of where Gretna Fest is every year. Jimmy, you'll be the, you'll be the one in the Derek Carr jersey, right? Dude, of course. Oh, I got it 80% off. I got it 80 Right now, it's a great deal, dude. It, it might go up to 90% by Valentine's. So, a great idea to buy so, your wife a Derek Carr jersey. So was, it, stuck, was it a used car jersey? Oh, I see where yeah. you're going with that. Okay. Now, look, there's no better Valentine's gift than a Derek Carr 90% off jersey. <laughs> you know, we're stuck with them. And, like, you know, and, and I, I, I guess some husbands are stuck with their wives. But in this case... Derek Carr is here, and we love him. I wish him the best. I think that with the right OC, good things are going to happen. But, yeah, come out to Old Gretna tomorrow. Crew of cuties, we're going to be out there. You said float number three? Float number three, dude. Who that nation? We're going to be on a Saints float. Come on out. It's a kiddie parade, kind of like Little Rascals in Metairie. It's a new thing on the West Bank. But, look, let me get back to sports here. Zion's hurt. Everybody's moaning and groaning on the Internet that this is the sign of, you know, the fall here. We're the fifth seed. We're playing a good team tonight. I think it is going to be a good crowd. Tickets are not cheap. I wouldn't say they're uh, super high, super expensive, but it's going to cost you 25 to 30 bucks to get in the game tonight on the secondary market if anybody's looking. But, you know, OKC's playing really disciplined ball. I, look, Zion's he's been healthy so far. I hope this situation doesn't linger. At the same time, I don't want to rush him back. We're doing well. I just wanted to get your take on what what do you guys see tonight? Do you guys see us resting him? And also, with the emergence of Jordan Hawkins, where does this leave Jose Alvarado, who's kind of the fan favorite? Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, you know, well, so anytime the Pelicans are on a back-to-back and I see Zion has a bruise, I'm just like, okay, this is kind of like, uh, he's probably not going to play in both games anyway. So if he's not 100% right now, it makes sense that they would hold him out tonight and hopefully tomorrow you get a more representative 
effort, right? If you have to pick one or the other, and he's not feeling up to it tonight. Soak that foot. You have that bone contusion. I don't know. Yeah, bone bru- a right a right bone bruise or left, right foot, left. Bo- foot bone, left foot bone, right foot bone connected to the thigh bone. You know, uh, but so yeah, I mean, I would expect him not to play, right? But one thing that's interesting about this Pelicans team is I'm actually, you know, I would prefer them to not play guys hurt because it gives guys minutes. Like, go look at that game against the Mavericks where everyone kind of wrote it off because they were out down four starters yep. and they won, and then they but, came back and lost to game, that right. same team with their <laughs> starters. It's just like you can win games with backups and you feel like, yeah, this gives us an opportunity to get some guys more run. So I don't mind it in the middle of an 82-game season. Like we were talking about, like Zion's on pace to play like 68, 70 games. I'm okay with that. I prefer that if the alternative is 40 (laughs) games or 29 like last year. So I'm okay with it. I do think you're going to struggle to beat the Thunder regardless of who you have on the floor because that is one of the top five teams in the NBA this year, and I don't think the Pelicans can say that about themselves right now. Yeah, we know the Thunder, like they've been on a, a streak coming into town. Yeah. I think, what is it, three, four-game win streak. Uh, tough. They, mat- just, they just execute teams to death. Too. Offensive like, and defensively, really yeah. tough all around. SGA is so good. <laughs> he's just so good. He, he's, he reminds me of Tony Parker in the sense that like he never wows you with anything he does, but he's just so frustrating to play against because he just always does the right thing. He makes shots. He makes timely shots where it's like you see him pull up with the game on the line and you're like, oh, yeah. This is going in. And, you know, the other thing he said, Jose Alvarado. Yeah, I am interested because he is a fan favorite, but it is tough to get all these guys on the floor. And you're like, oh, Jordan Hawkins. I want to play Jordan Hawkins. Well, you got to take somebody out. And I th- they really like Najee. They think he facilitates well. Jose, the problem is like the Jose and Jordan are on the complete opposite sides of the spectrum where Jose is a torch. I'm sorry, Jordan has a torch, and Jose is this pestering defender that no one wants to play against. And so it's like, okay, which side do you want to lean toward? Yeah, it's it's tough. Like I would still play Jose. I'm a huge Jordan Hawkins fan, but I think Jose, from a plus minus perspective, from like both ends of the floor perspective, I think he's the more productive player. But it's just hard when, when you get Jordan going and he's just dropping him in. Like, okay, I see you. Uh, so I don't know. It's tough. Want to go to Joe now in Bay St. Louis? We were talking about Ronald Curry before. He wants to chime in on something. What you got, Joe? Hey guys. Uh, so it's just uh, more or less kind of the same, the same of the same. So it was, it was, it was. Hold on, and let's make Dennis Allen a deal when Sean was leaving. <clears throat> Excuse me, because he's going to go somewhere and he's going to be a head coach somewhere. He was not staying as a defensive coordinator, right? And so we're not, you know, I guess the verdict's still out on whether that was the right move or not. Um, I think a lot of people feel like, and this is going back to what uh, Bobby and Mike were talking about, the comparisons that, that, that Mickey had made to Hall of Fame coaches. <laughs> and, and you know, he's, he, he, does not have a, he does not have a good tra- a track record as a head coach. So, mm-hmm. uh, devil's advocate, I don't necessarily feel like that would be a bad thing to continue to look around and, and let him look around. So, just to be clear, so are you saying look around at outside candidates for offense coordinator or – Look at Ronald Curry and maybe promote him. I'm just trying to figure out where you're coming at this. Um, things uh, things are not working, so you don't continue to do the same things. <laughs> yeah, so he's looking right? outside. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I well, understand yeah, your take. Absolutely, absolutely, look outside. I mean, the whole the whole deal was is that you know uh, Dennis Allen, and he's a phenomenal defensive coach, and and. 
some people some people are great motivators. Ronald Reagan was a great motivator, <laughs> and 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 uh, Dennis Allen is certainly not Ronald Reagan. But we we chose to keep him because he was going to go coach somewhere, and perhaps even coach against us. Chicago was the, the front runner, I believe, that year. Um, okay. Um, yeah. No, I I understand where you're coming at it from, but the only thing that I'll say is like you are down this path with Dennis Allen, right? And so at what point do you look at it and say, okay, we, we saw what things were like at the end of last season. Do we start from scratch with a new offensive coordinator this year when you don't really know what to expect? How much can you change? How much can you rebuild in one offseason? Or do you give your guy a shot that you have been building with in Ronald Curry? And I understand why people are saying, no, we wanna, I want to change course. I want to do something different. But different isn't always better. And, and so to me, it's like, what's the evaluation? Who are you bringing in? What are the changes going to be? And are they better than, like, Ronald Curry can change things. I think people are just afraid that if you bring in Ronald Curry, it'll be the same. It'll be him trying to do what it'll Pete It'll be Carmichael Sean Payton did. version 3.0 kind and, of thing. And to me, yeah, and to me, in order to hire Ronald Curry, I need assurances that it's not just going to be Ronald Curry trying to emulate Pete Carmichael, trying to emulate Sean Payton, right. which that was my issue with Pete Carmichael is it was a guy who very clearly was just trying to, you know, it's like you're you're dressing up like your dad and you're trying to do all the same things. It's like it's like no, you be what you want to be. What do you want to be? You don't want to just do what your dad did. You want to do your own thing, right? Otherwise, I'd be selling shoes. My dad runs a shoe store. I don't want to sell shoes, but it seemed really cool when he did it. Anyway, so like if I'm interviewing Ronald Curry, my questions are: How are you going to revamp this scheme? Because he can do that. It's not like you're. You're promoting Ronald Curry, and, and that's not to say they are going to promote Ronald Curry, but to me, that's the answer I need is how are you going to put your stamp on this offense and how are you going to change things? Just because he was the quarterback's coach doesn't mean he can't have his own stamp on the offense. But I agree. I don't want them to just show up in September 2024 and have another warmed-over version of Sean Payton's offense. I agree that needs to change. I just think like you can't just discount Ronald Curry. That said, I agree. I don't think what they've been doing will works. I like the idea of being more RPO intensive. I like the idea of bringing in Brian Johnson. Not a huge fan of the Mike Sullivan option, just because what have you seen in Pittsburgh that really wowed you? The Giants, while they did play well in his year as the offensive coordinator on offense, they were had a little bit to be desired. So I wasn't super thrilled about that. You know, I think he was the offense coordinator for the Bucks way back when too, and it, I think that was the Josh Freeman years. You know, not exactly something. way back. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I I think that there's a lot. There's there's positives and negatives for every candidate you look at, and that's why this interview process is so important. But I think that it's it's unfair to Ronald Curry to say he shouldn't get a shot. He shouldn't be seriously considered because you expect him to do all the same things that Pete did, trying to emulate Sean. Right. Because he, he probably has a say in that. Maybe he disagrees with a lot of the stuff Pete was doing. Maybe He's like, he, oh, I can't wait to unleash what I want to do now. Right. And, and again, the Saints are a team that likes to give their that likes to show faith in their own guys and be loyal. So they're not going to scoff at that, thing, that opportunity. But I do think if you're the Saints, you should put a premium on someone who, who feels like they can come in and change things for the better, not necessarily just do things that they've always have done. And, and Joe, I really do appreciate the call. I think it's a good conversation, and it's what I wanted to talk about. So thank you for bringing that up. Chiefs at Ravens, Lions at Niners. We're talking AFC-NFC championships. We get right back after the break with Odyssey NFL insider Jason LaCanfor here on WWL. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. 
Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back into Sports Talk. On the line with us right now, Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockin for Insider Calls brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin too. Jason, how you been, man? Hey, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Doing great. How's things in Baltimore? I'm sure th- uh, it's off the oh. hook over there, man. Yeah, um, it's crazy. It was like 74 degrees today, which is very quite odd for late January <laughs> here. It's going to cool down a little bit by game time and get a little rainier. But, yeah, people are um, people are, are bouncing off the walls. Uh, this hasn't happened in this city since 1971, since – the heyday of the Baltimore Colts and, you know, late, uh, late sixties, early seventies, when this was the city of champions and the Orioles and, uh, and the Colts were competing for world titles with regularity. So yeah, um, it's, it's kind of amazing to think as successful as the Ravens have been, but they haven't hosted one of these before, but you know what? That's life in the AFC in the, uh, two thousands when you've had to go through Tom Brady and now Patrick Mahomes to get to one of these. Yeah, all the talk has been obviously about the two MVP. Uh, it's not official with Lamar yet, but everyone has yeah. pretty much penciled him in, or you can put it in pen really, as him as the MVP this year going against a former MVP in the league and Pat Mahomes. Uh, what do you see as the biggest keys in this matchup? Is it going to come down to both defenses? Well, look, I think it starts in the red zone. I mean, if you want to talk about a huge team that hasn't performed offensively like years past, you want to talk about a huge team that went from averaging – I think like 29.7 points right. per game uh, the first six years of this thing with Mahomes and, and uh, Reed versus this year where it's more like 22. I mean, that touchdown difference is, is the red zone. Uh, now with Pacheco getting healthier late in the season, you know, things have ticked up that way. But, they, you know, it, it, the passing game in the red zone is not robust. And, and Kelsey's had a nice year. He hasn't had the greatest year in the history of the world. And, and you know, they, they've scaled things down. They've had to. They've run the ball more, and they've had to kind of, like, weed out some of the guys who just the, 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 the plus-minus doesn't go in your way, right? The, the risk-reward of throwing in the red zone to a Kadarius Tony. You know, even last week with Hardman, you know, he doesn't see it that much. And they got a little cute. They gave him the ball down low. He fumbles out of the end zone. Like, um, so it may be a little more streamlined and predictable, Um you know, but how effective can it be against one of the great uh, red zone defenses in the NFL? Um, obviously, you've got to contain Mahomes, whether it's mush rush, just tipping some balls, um, the ability to get a little bit of pressure with four and five. Uh, the Ravens don't blitz a ton, but when they do, they've been, they've been amazing. They've got the lowest passer rating in the NFL against them when they blitz. Um, they're top three in touchdown-interception ratio, top three in completion percentage, top three in yards per attempt. And Mahomes this year 
has been mortal against the Blitz, just 16th. I think because both of his tackles are jumpy um, and they've got some issues there. So, like, can those things come into play a little bit for, for Baltimore getting a stop here or there? Um, and obviously, both these teams do want to run the football, and both these defenses have a little bit of an underbelly where you can run on them. Some would say, hey, it's by design. Look how often they got two or three safeties back. And I get that, but if you dig into the eight-man box numbers, too, they don't paint a great, pretty picture for these two defenses either. So, um, you know, I, I, I look, Pacheco being on the injury report all week and, you know, not practicing, that, that, you know, that could be a big deal. That plus no Joe Tooney, if, if, if Andy Reid can't run the ball downhill – like he wants to and like I think he has to, um, then then this could go in a different direction. You know, the the other big bit of news that came out today, Mark Andrews getting activated, you know, hasn't played since week 11, had a pretty significant leg injury that initially everyone thought he was done for the year. Then there was this idea, yeah. so, oh, if they get deep enough in the playoffs, look out, and here we are. And I just, what is the indicate? Is it the idea that he can actually show up and make an impact? Is it more of a smokescreen, kind of a, a decoy kind of deal? What are your expectations for Mark Andrews in this game? I don't think it's a decoy because he practiced full last week and they still held him out of that game. So I think this was really with an eye towards, hey, we don't want to have to have one of those fake games. When he plays, you know, he can be a factor. Now, do I think he's going to play 70 snaps? No, um, I don't. And if you dig into the numbers, even before he got hurt, he and Isaiah likely were only on the field together for 11% of Lamar Jackson's dropbacks from week one to week 11 um, when when uh, Andrew suffered that injury. So they weren't a heavy 12-personnel team this year um, under Todd Monkin. They were the heaviest in the, in the NFL under Greg Roman. Uh, I think there's a middle ground there somewhere. I think Mark Andrews on third downs, I mean, yeah, he's going to be on the field. Mark Andrews in the red zone, absolutely, he's going to be on the field. Um, I think likely we'll probably outsnap him. And I think they still will be primarily an 11 personnel team. Um, but it's a big deal. Like, he has muscle memory with Lamar Jackson that nobody else has. I mean, like, he's still the touchdown guy. He's the first down maker. Like, he and Lamar have an innate chemistry. Um, but, you know, we saw that with Likely last week on the, on the touchdown play where it was clear there was a little bit of street ball there and Likely wanted it high and he wanted it off the back shoulder. And he got it. So now they've got two of those big bodies that they can play around with. Uh, I think, again, red zone, red zone, red zone. Curious, Jason, if you've seen or heard anything. Uh, it popped up again for me again uh, today on the Twitter sphere about Andy Reid possibly retiring or thinking about it. Has, have you come across anything like that? No, not really. I mean, I, and I, I've known Andy a long time, okay. and I know a lot of people in his circle. Uh, it seemed to be one guy in particular who was just kind of um, – throwing this out there, I, I would be surprised. Now, look, he takes a physical every year. You know, he sits down with his wife, and they've been through a lot as a couple, as parents. Um, but I, I, this is, he's, he, I, I know this much. His passion for this um, still burns. And he has sort of used this as an outlet to help him get over personal crises that some people might have said, you know, enough. I'm getting out of the public eye. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not working these crazy hours anymore, what have you. And by no means has Patrick Mahomes slowed down or anything like that. So I, I personally would be really surprised. But again, I, he is someone who, you know, every year there's conversations and every year, you know, he wants to check on his health and, and et cetera. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, I think he's got a lot more 12-win seasons in him. He's the guy who might chase Shula down if he really, really wanted to. Right. 
you know, just kind of hopping over to the NFC here, you know, the 49ers Lions, I don't think there's a, there's really an underdog in this, uh, you know, semifinal, if you will, like the Lions are probably the closest thing to it. They still won 12 games. They were a playoff favorite all year long. There was some expectation they might be the top seed and they kind of fell off a little toward the end of the season. But at the end of the day, the Lions do feel like a massive underdog in this just because we've been talking about the 49ers all year. And so I guess just from your, your kind of vantage point, how, how do you see this NFC championship game going? Because in the back of my head, I'm like, man, the, the 49ers might just boat race the Lions. I don't know if they're ready for this moment. But then you see Dan Campbell is chewing off kneecaps. He's just gonna he's gonna have that team ready to play. So I'm just curious, where do you yeah. see this game going? I think mean, there's a one possession game. I, I think Vegas has mispriced the, the 49ers at home mm-hmm. consistently in the second half of the season. And you know they're 0 six against the spread. Their last uh, six home games wow. going back to to week eight. That's obviously worse than the NFL. And the only team with a with a with a bigger margin. So the only team with a bigger home discrepancy between what they posted and the actual uh, spread was Washington. And we know how god-awful they were at home. And Washington was like a minus 57. San Francisco was like minus 54. So I, I think it's too many points for seven and a half, and, and maybe it gets to eight. I think the Lions can make this a game. I think the Lions can beat them up in the trenches. I know the Lions are down one of their top guards, but Ragnall's playing. Those two tackles are legit. Um, and San Francisco, you can run on San Francisco. And if you look at where San Francisco really struggles, they struggle on pitch plays. Well, good luck with Jameer, Jameer Gibbs because you couldn't stop it with Aaron Jones last week. You're not going to stop it with him this week. And they struggle with middle runs. And they struggle defending runs from under center. And guess what? The Lions have 60-plus more runs under center than any team in the NFL. And they've got Montgomery to run power inside and Gibbs outside zone. And as great as San Francisco is running outside zone, they can't stop it. And the Lions run a ton of it. And Gibbs is over six yards a carry when they do it. And so I think they can bully them a little bit. And I'll tell you what, the best pass rusher in this game, ain't both ain't Chase Young. Right now, it's Aiden Hutchinson. It ain't even close. And the last month of the season, since Baltimore went out there and punched them in the mouth and stole their lunch money, Bosa's getting pressure less than 13% of the time. Chase Young's getting pressure 8% of the time. Kinlaw don't get any pressure. Uh, and Hargrave's getting it 9% of the time. All those guys combined have one and a half sacks in the last four weeks. So I think that could be a problem against this offensive line. Um, I don't love the underbelly of the, of the 49ers secondary, and I get it. The Lions have definite issues pass coverage. I get it. But Branch has come back healthy, and he's a difference maker. They've got Gardner Johnson back now for a couple weeks, and I think that's been huge. And I, I think Brock Purdy's tasting a little blood in his mouth right now, and I don't, I don't, I don't think he's used to it, and I don't think he likes it. Um, and the right side of his offensive line is garbage. And if I'm the Lions, I'm not even letting Hutchinson tangle with Trent Williams. I'm going to concede that one. But Feliciano, yeah, I think he could rip his heart out. Hmm. And the right tackle, I'm going to take my chances there. And I'll play around with the center and the, and the left guard, too. Uh, I think it could be a real interesting game, and I think the Lions could out-physical. Insider Calls brought to you by Old Spice Gentlemen's Body Blend Wash, providing exfoliation plus 24-7 moisturizing because men have skin too. Uh, Jason, looking at the NFC South, we got two new hires at head coach. Uh, Curious your thoughts on the additions there and also looking like Bill Belichick could be out of a job, not looking like anyone might be picking him up for next season. Look, I've been saying since October when it was clear that it was over there that there was going to be a very limited market for Bill Belichick, and I would bet the house on the field over him. Um, That's just the reality of the situation, and I've written it repeatedly at the Washington Post, and 
and and it is what it is. He's going to be 72. He has very strong designs about how he operates and who's coming with him. Um, and are you real? Like, how many teams where they are right now would turn their entire franchise over to him? Right. Given what we've seen since Tom Brady left, um, he's going to be somebody's footballs are, or he's not going to be doing anything at all. And um, I just think that's that's the marketplace for him. I, I, Raheem Morris does not surprise me. I'd heard from the beginning that they really wanted to spend time with him again. They regretted letting him leave. And one thing that we knew about this Falcons hire was not going to be a first-time head coach. They had not hired a coach with real head coaching experience at the NFL level since Dan Reeves. And it was going to be somebody who's done it before. And obviously, Raheem did it in Tampa, and he did it as interim basis there. Um, Carolina, nobody wants the guy's job. I mean, it just is what it is. Like, if, if he could have got Ben Johnson, if he could have got slower to take the job, um, they would have taken it. And... and I, I like Dave Canales, and, and I think he's done a great job. And it, it could turn out to be a great hire. But, uh, you know, Mike McDonald here in Baltimore, he wasn't going there. Like, like you know what? I, it's just it, it's not happening. If you had other options, you weren't really going there, and you weren't going to Tennessee. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting in that division next year. You know, what does Atlanta do at quarterback? Obviously, you know, Ken Canales, you know, rebuild and or build or whatever, right. prop up Bryce Young. Um, we shall see, but uh, I think it'll probably be a, another, you know, one of those years where it comes down to a game here, a game there within the division, and nobody in that division is a Super Bowl, you know, a real Super Bowl contender, but there's not a whole lot separating them either. You know, I, I think what you brought up there with the Panthers is, is interesting. And I think people underestimate just how toxic of an environment you can create when you behave the way David Tepper has and you fire head coaches in year one. And even like Chris Tabor, like the news that just came out that they're now allowing Chris Tabor to leave a few weeks after blocking him from interviewing right. for a special teams coordinator job with the Giants. I mean, these are things that it's like, you, it's like, yeah, you want to hire that guy, but does that guy want to come coach for you? Because <laughs> I think that's that's a factor that a lot of people kind of ignore. But well, he's a career killer. Matt Rule will never coach. And again, right. we don't have enough time to go into that. But he'll never <laughs> coach the NFL again. And Frank Reich is going to just take that guy's money and never even try to coach again. Like it's you know like it it it, it, it it's, he, he, his name is mud in the coaching community and uh, it, it, it's for good reason. So not to say it won't ever work, but that was not an attractive job for a multitude of reasons. Again, the guys who had some, you know, who, who, who had a bunch of other options. Appreciate the time, Jason. Have a good one and enjoy the games this weekend, my man. Hey, you guys do the same. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks, you. Jason. That was Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockin for Insider Calls, brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. We'll be right back with more Sports Talk right after this here on WWL. Welcome back into Sports Talk. This is the time of the show. We get into the triple option, our top takes on today's top stories. Jeff, you get to lead it off. Oh, do I? <laughs> How exciting for me. Okay, so, you know, I'm looking at the NFC Championship. I'm looking at the Saints. I'm looking at they didn't get the 10 wins. Why not? Right? Come up. Give me reasons. And, you know, I look at these NFC NFC Championship, AFC Championship teams, and one thing that stands out about them is all four teams have probably one of the top four tight ends in the NFL, right? The Ravens have Mark Andrews, which is not a great example because he's been out, but he is – Probably the top tight end when right. you look at statistically. I mean, he only played in 11 games, and he had 45 catches, 544 yards, and six touchdowns. Uh, uh, Chiefs have Travis Kelsey. Lions have Sam Laporte. He was a rookie, but 
you know, I think we all watch that Saints-Lions game and understand why Sam LaPorter is a guy uh, who's a problem. And then the 49ers have George Kittle. You know, and, and the only reason I bring this up is there is a very clear correlation between the teams that got the 10-plus wins and the teams that have high-quality tight ends. Not even the top of the barrel tight ends, but high-quality tight ends. Bills, Dalton Kincaid, Browns, David Njoku, Texans, Dalton Schultz, Eagles, Dallas Goddard, Cowboys, Jake Ferguson. These were all 10-win teams with tight ends who had a floor of 58 catches, 592 yards. There are only four 10-win teams that did not get to those marks. It was the Steelers, Dolphins, Rams, and Ravens. Again, Mark Andrews played in 11 games. If he had played in 14, he would have easily gotten to that mark. So that means that seven out of the 10 10-win teams have a tight end that put top-end statistics out there. And you look at the Saints, and you're talking about Jawan Johnson, 37 catches, 368 yards, four touchdowns. But his final four games, which was the time of the year where the Saints were playing their best football, 17 catches, 216 yards, three touchdowns. If you got that Jawan Johnson for more of this season, the Saints win 10 games, they're in the playoffs, they're in that group. And so to me, that's just a sign that, you know, in order to be a competitive 10-win playoff caliber team, you need to get top-end production out of the tight end position. You don't need elite 100-catch, 1,200-yard, 12-touchdown season, but you do need to get that floor, that 60-catch, 600-yard, 4-6 to six touchdown range, and it makes your life a lot easier. And, like, you're not – I'm not saying that that's the difference between them winning a Super Bowl and winning nine games, but I do think it is the difference between them winning nine games and winning 11, 12 games. Charlie, what's your take today? Okay, guys, we kind of previewed a little bit with the Pelicans' upcoming three-game slate against the Thunder, the Bucks, and the Celtics. This is kind of weird from the NBA schedule makers. They have the same exact three-game slate at the end of March, too. They host the Thunder, the Bucks, and the Celtics. So, yeah, I mean, it's really strange. I, I don't really know why they had that work out that way because, I mean, these are three of the best teams in the entire NBA, three top five teams. But you're looking at... You know, this could spiral a little bit at the end of January with these three, uh, once again, top teams. But then you host, you actually travel to face the Rockets to close out January. Then February comes around, and the slate gets a little bit easier, guys. Like, we've heard some people say that, you know, the schedule's still tough for the rest of the season. The second half is where the Pelicans typically struggle. Uh, they average about 19 wins in the final 41 games over the last couple of years. But you're looking at the first 10 games of February. They play 12. Uh, the first 10 games, eight of those games are against teams that are 500 or below, including games against the Spurs, the Blazers, the Wizards, the Grizzlies, and the Raptors, all teams that are in the bottom half of the NBA. So even if it does spiral a little bit, I'm going to be an optimist. You know, this three-game stretch is going to be tough against Oklahoma City, then traveling, hitting the road to face Milwaukee, and then Boston in back-to-back contests. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year where, you know, they had that 10-game losing skid that really sent things down towards the play-in tournament. I think the Pellets can kind of bounce back if they are to lose some of these games that are coming up in the next three-game slate. Well, guys, I'm going with a little bit of news on the LSU front. They are uh, bringing in some more changes. A former staff member coming back for the third time in his career. That's Austin Thomas has been hired after two years as the chief of staff at Ole Miss. Uh, it's going to be Thomas's third stint at LSU. He worked for the Tigers 2013 to 17, then returned in 2021 to help oversee roster management, daily operations. And as the general manager at the time, he had a key role in LSU scouting and recruiting departments. Uh, Thomas wasn't retained 
when Brian Kelly overhauled his staff upon arrival from Notre Dame. Now he's returning to play a key role in roster management and personnel. LSU's personnel department's been changing this week. Director of Player Personnel Will Redmond left for Auburn, and he two assistants took the head personnel jobs at other schools. Um, first hired at LSU as a staff member, Thomas was named the Personnel Director of the Year in 2015. Uh, Ed Ogeron had promoted him to general manager and became head coach a year later, making Thomas the first person to win the title in the Southeastern Conference. And after winning at LSU for two years in that role, he left for a similar position as the Associate Athletic Director for Player Personnel at Texas A&M. That was from 2018 to 2019. And Thomas spent one season at Baylor before coming back to LSU. So more changes on the LSU front there. Uh, We're going to take a break, come back with more sports talk right after this on WWL. I got one for you, Jeff. The Oakland Hard Jewelers talking text line here. Uh, 9994 is asking, do we know if Ronald Curry called any of the plays in the Saints' last four games? They knew they were moving on. Why not give him a chance at the end of the season? Or did it it happen and we don't know? Uh, It did not happen. Um, I actually, I called, uh, or I asked, Dennis Allen after one game. I can't remember which game it was. might have been after the Panthers game or the Giants game where everyone was – it was the Giants game because everyone was thrilled about how the offense played in that game. And they're like, oh, it must not have been Pete Carmichael, (laughs) right? Uh, And I asked him and he said there was no changes to how they were operating. He sounded surprised that I even asked that question. But it was a rumor, so I wanted to clear it up. Um, And so so no, it didn't happen. And the second part of the question is why didn't it happen? Well, they were never eliminated from the playoffs. I mean – and they were playing well on offense over the last month of the season. So it's not like you go into that Falcons game and you're like, wow, we got to make a change. They needed to win that game to give themselves a chance, and they had been playing pretty good offense over the last month of the year. If I, I think if maybe you got eliminated from the playoffs and you got to a situation where it's like, yeah, maybe give him a shot and see what he has. I don't think they had decided that they were going to move on from Pete during the season. I think that's something you decided after the season. But no, just to answer the base part of that question, he didn't call plays. And the why is because they were still in contention to make the playoffs until 5 or 6, 7 p.m. on week 18. So Now, Curry was given a chance in the preseason this year, and it wasn't the last year even, too, or no? Yeah, so previously it has been Pete Carmichael calling plays in the preseason when Sean Payton was here, and then when Pete Carmichael took over as offensive coordinator, it was Ronald Curry calling plays in the preseason. With all the games. As that backup uh, play calling option. I don't know if it was all the okay. games, but that was he did get that opportunity multiple times in both off seasons. So there is some idea of what he would be like as a play caller, but keep in mind your your offensive attack is very, 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 very watered down during that period. But that one drive where everyone was like, man, the Derek Carr offense, it's going to be the best offense in the world. Ah, They went all the way down the field against the Chiefs. We're going to the Super Bowl. That was Ronald Curry. So, hey, there you go. Yeah, there's a positive, a feather in his cap. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the one thing that obviously we don't get to see in all this, and it's like the combine too, the interview process, which I think is obviously the most important part of, of it of it all, uh, getting to know these offensive coordinators coming in, what they're like, and uh, finding out their grand scheme, their plan for this offense, obviously centered around Derek Carr too. What is your question? No, to me, it's just the interview process, the most important thing. We can say, oh, he's done this there, yeah. so-and-so's done this in this other location. But to me, it's like, what happens when you're in the room with that person? Or I know some of these have been Zoom calls. Yeah, I think one thing that people don't 
wrap their head around quite as much as they probably should is you know the the the, the our interviewing these coaches has is a lot more informative than just this is the guy we're going to hire you're learning a lot about other offenses and how they operate and people are giving you their ideas for what you need to do and you're taking a lot of that information like Brian Greasy can give you some insight on Clint Kubiak that no one else could he worked with him right. for the last two years so hey you know it, it is what it is but I think the, there's a reason these teams value these interviews in this process and the Saints have a good reason to do that. Pelicans and LSU baseball talk will dominate next right here on WWL. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 